welcome to the Virtual Viewpoints podcast produced by the Michigan Virtual Learning Research Institute, a division of Michigan Virtual. The aim of this podcast is to amplify the voices of those working in K-12 online and blended learning and allow them to tell their stories, sharing perspectives on their work and the continued evolution of our field. This episode is the sixth in our series documenting the Fuse Architect Project, a collaboration between the Nellie May Education Foundation, the Highlander Institute, and several other Rhode Island-based stakeholders who are working to design and pilot systems that promote student-centered learning. In this episode, we're talking with members of the Highlander Institute team, including Nick Vakarat, who serves as program manager for the Fuse Architect Project, and Michael Klein, Malika Ali, and Christina Corser, who serve as educational strategy specialists, working directly with the teachers, administrators, and students at the schools to affect change. Let's dive into their interview to learn more. Um, hi, my name is Malika Ali, um, and I work with 360 High School, Central High School, both in Providence, and then Central Falls High School in Central Falls, and uh, Rogers and p in Newport. Hi, I'm Christina Corser. I work with the Narragansett team. And I'm Mike Klein, and I work with the Barrington High School team. Nick Vakra, program manager working across all the schools. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us today. So we're talking about the Fuse Architect project, and I'd like each of you to talk a little bit about the current place you are in the project, including updates on the various schools. So what phase are you in for? the Fuse Architect project and what does that entail? Well, we're in phase four, the implementation phase. Um, where we've been working with the schools all year long. We actually started in August with a little bit of summer PD that we scheduled in with each school. Um, and then from there, that's where they met their ESS coaches and the ESS coaches have been taking it, meeting with them once a week from then on. Excellent, and can you talk a little bit about what ESS means? Sure. Yeah. We're the education strategy specialists, so essentially we spend time working with teachers in schools, uh, oftentimes students and uh, principals, school leaders, district leaders, to help with embedded supports, so co-planning, co-teaching, observing, giving feedback, and in the particular case of Fuse Architect, really thinking about the integration of lots of different tech tools and how they might be interoperable and work in classrooms. Wonderful. That sounds really supportive. <laughs> exactly what, what we hope for. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So who wants to get started talking about the various schools and where they're at at this point? So there are four, so I'll uh, run through both them one by one. Um, so each of the, the four schools that I'm working in across two districts is in um, a different place. Um, so each, each of our schools started with their um, their design challenges and, and build their success statements around that and then really focused on um, what uh, indicators at the classroom level um, they really wanted to dig into that aligned to their design uh, statements um, and then uh, had them thinking very deeply about like what it means to elevate student voice um, and uh, to think about like uh, competency grading as well. So um, at Newport for example Right now our students are, they are split into committees. Um, the student, uh, the students from the design team are um, running those committees with their uh, teacher advisors who are also on the design team. Um, and they disseminated surveys to the entire school. 
um, and then gathered data. And then over the last couple of design team meetings, they've been really analyzing that data, um, using protocols and thinking about um, what are the pieces that they think that they might be able to um, dig into as far as developing like action plans um, with their teachers and with administration uh, to like create some change in the school. Um, and then at the classroom level, they're uh, thinking a lot about student voice and choice. Um, so the teachers that I'm working with are um, uh, using choice stations, they are using flex models, um, and they are thinking about what, um, what kinds of feedback loops uh, have been really effective in their classroom to be able to uh, teach in a way, in, in an instructional model that the kids are um, uh, would benefit from. So uh, one of my teachers, for example, has um, had never tried stations before. She started with a, a, a pretty structured station rotation and then moved to a flex model um, and then started doing choice stations um, and would uh, she disseminates these um, these regular uh, surveys to her classes to see what, uh, not only what stations they like, but to track their thinking on whether or not uh, the students are able to choose the stations, not just that they like, but that will uh, lead to success for them. So she's really pushing them to be self-reflective. Um, so they, they use playlists, and at the end of each playlist, they reflect um, on whether or not they made the right choices for that <laughs> unit um, based on the, their own data um, and their own interests. So she's really pushing them to step outside of their comfort zone and um, try the station that they think is going to lead them to success. Um, and there was a little bit of a, um, at the beginning it was a little bit challenging because for her it meant uh, releasing a lot of control to kids um, and they didn't make the the best decisions at the beginning, as evidenced by like one of their um, their summative assessments at the end of a unit. But then, you know, they after like reflecting and thinking about it, um, they've made a, like much better choices in the last few um, playlists. So each each play playlist is a unit for them, um, and they're in a good place now, and they're like developing like skill sets um, from the habits of success. Uh, that they're using to, to really like drive their success and so um, that model now some of the other teachers are working to implement that who have been less uh, more hesitant to, to try to implement something like that um, that team is also going to be taking the students from the design team on middle school visits so the local middle school um, and they're going to uh, teach the students the middle school students about what high school is like um, and introduce them to some of the tech tools that they've been using that they've really liked and that um, the survey results have shown that like students really uh, like. Um, so that's Newport. For Central Falls, um, they have been doing a lot around uh, student voice and choice at a, um, a larger scale. So the entire, this, this team is looking, is uh, the entire ninth grade team. So we have four teachers, all ninth grade teachers, um, and they just had last week a summit where in which um, we brought in a local partner um, called CLE, Center for Leadership um, and Educational Equity, and uh, they helped facilitate, along with the students from the design team, um, sessions uh, um, to, to teach the kids protocols on looking at data, so they looked at their own, um, the, the student data, um, student surveys that were, uh, that they took on, like the uniform policy that they have, um, and some discussion protocols um, 
so that they can then take these protocols and use them in the classroom around content, but then also so that they can use them um, to affect change beyond the classroom level at the administrative level. Um, so the students from the design team did an awesome job facilitating along with our key facilitators um, and all the ninth graders who attended uh, the summit um, really like learned the language of uh, facilitation and of, of these protocols that will um, that they can hopefully then use um, beyond beyond the summit day um, <clears throat> at Central they have um, a different sort of program where they uh, they were really pushing rigor they're all teaching AP classes um, and so the big um, challenge lately has been really thinking about differentiation and um, how to uh, effectively differentiate um, given the, the model and structure that they've created. Um, <clears throat> and they're using a, a platform called Ngrade. Uh, and then lastly, 360 High School is really thinking about like competency grading. Um, and they're using Schoology. So there, that we just had like a full day PD last week in which we really dug into um, the mastery grading uh, um, abilities that the, the, the platform has, um, which the teachers are really excited about because it allows them to set what mastery will be for each uh, competency. And then students, if they have five opportunities to show mastery um, on a certain competency, if the teacher says, if they show mastery on three of the five, um, then that, that counts as they've mastered that, uh, that objective. Um, and then they can move on. So it allows them to really um, think about grading in a way that the school never has, and they're moving to whole school implementation of um, Schoology uh, so that they can do competency grading in a way that they had always intended and hoped to do. Um, so it's gonna be a lot of work to really build those competencies into the platform at, at, departmental, at departmental levels and uh, school-wide competencies. Um, but they're in a place now where I think they're they're ready and excited to dig into that. Excellent. That's great to hear. Thank you. Do you want to jump in on your school? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it's always so interesting hearing what the other team leaders are talking about because there's so much overlap, even though these districts are so, so different. Uh, at Narragansett, um, our focus since August has been trying out structures that will support the rollout of power school learning, the LMS that they chose. And it's it's pretty funny how the, the LMS happens to be, in so many conversations, the last thing that comes up in any update um, because the structures are so important and that's, that's definitely been the focus for this team. Um, everyone has tried out station rotation, which is great. Just getting teachers to move from the front of the classroom to an embedded place as a coach. Um, and I'll say there's been some successes and some, um, you know, some not so successes, but, uh, <laughs> overall the, the feedback from teachers has been, uh, really strong in that they, they're getting, they're getting more bang for their buck when they're embedded in a small group. And so how can they replicate that? Even if it's not in a structured station rotation every single day, every single time, mm -hmm. um, and my teachers are gradually moving to flex model. They're trying out different things and, they're, they're moving through changes that I experienced as a teacher, um, trying, trying out things by myself, but at a much faster pace because they have such a tight cohort of teachers working together. It's really, really great. Mm -hmm. um, they are, uh, one of the places that I'm really trying to push them is incorporating more student voice. Um, 
they're definitely so focused on designing structures for kids and not so much designing structures with their kids. And um, Nick has done an awesome job working with the students on our design team uh, to follow their own project. Inviting student boys into the conversation has definitely changed our team for the better. Um, as soon as the students leave the room to go back to their classes, you have these teachers look at each other like, oh wow, that was, uh, they did a really good job. They really put that together. And I think they're saying when you give kids more space, um, that you get at the very least more authentic data. Are they actually failing? Are they actually succeeding? Are they actually engaged? And that's been the conversation in the last week or so. Awesome. Um, and at Barrington High School, I feel like there are two big buckets of work. There's the work around student agency that's been a really big part of the student-created makerspace that they've made there, um, which has been incredible to see it get up and running. I think this summer students are like, is this actually going to happen? Like there was an empty room, there were no tools, there was no training, there was nothing there yet, but a really good idea. Mm -hmm. And they've been able to get all the things they needed to get started. They had a student committee ninth graders, 10th graders, 11th graders, 12th graders, kids who actually staff the lab as internship credit are there for a period every single day and are able to support people who want to come into the makerspace and actually create something. Um, we've seen more students coming into the makerspace, um, which has been really exciting. Um, and a couple of the things that they've identified that they needed more support with were um, realizing that teachers didn't yet have a good understanding for what it took to plan for the space. So they would tell students, you're going to go make a poster, or you're going to go 3D print something, but they didn't necessarily understand the design work that needed to happen before that, how much time it took to print something, how much time it would take to print something that's like two inches versus something that's a foot. Um, so all these different things that are constraints that maybe they weren't understanding and planning for. And so the students talked to the principal and um, led a faculty meeting and basically took on projects in every single subject area and said, here are a couple English projects that you could do, here are a couple math projects you could do, here's how long it would take to use this machine and plan for that. Um, and so it's been really interesting to see more teachers now coming into the lab and asking the students in the planning process to sit down with them and think through what it would look like to plan a project around having them create something. Um, and then the other thing is they're creating tutorial videos for all the tools that are in the lab um, because when students come in, it's sometimes unclear kind of what they need to do, and not every single student on the leadership team necessarily knows every single tool in the lab. So having the people who are experts in that actually make a video and show kids like, here's how from beginning to end you would do this, kind of like a cooking video where like you don't necessarily see the people actually make all the stuff, but you see all the steps and how they get put together. Mm -hmm. um, and that's been really cool to watch, and it's, it's really exciting to see how, how much agency the kids feel over the space. There are no adults any time in that classroom at all, um, which is a very powerful thing and something that doesn't really exist in many other places. Um, and it's actually inspired some people in other districts that have come through and seen it to start trying to do something like that in their own districts. So I work also with Dartmouth High School in Dartmouth, Massachusetts, and they're actually creating a student maker space in their current high school and thinking about how do we knock down walls and how do we make it so that we can see into the space so that we can have it be student run but also be monitored and that kind of stuff. So it's been really interesting to see how it inspires other people to try and do that work. Um, and then the other piece would be working with the amazing teachers there around uh, a mixture of technology integration and the interoperable tools that we've been trying to work with. So. One great example would be Dana Pagliaro, uh, the personal finance teacher who um, has been having her students create a website that pulls together all the things they've learned in their personal finance class, 
that's aimed at different grade levels. So one class focused on elementary schoolers, one class focused on middle schoolers, one class focused on high schoolers. And then they use Sutori um, to create a timeline of all the steps that you would take. So here's what you would want to do this year. and Here's what you want to do a couple of years from now to kind of get yourself ready to be financially sustainable. Um, and they embedded that in the website and then they made screencasts using Screencastify to explain their thinking and introduce viewers to their website so they understand this is how you would navigate it, this is why we put this information here, kind of put their thinking all in one place. Um, so that's been a great way of just getting a chance to meet with teachers who are very excited about their craft and know their content really well and are just looking for ways to pull together different resources to support what they're already doing in their classes. Um, and then um, Echo, which is the platform that we're using to, um, as a learning management system to test out and see if it, how well it works. Um, I feel like it's been in fits and starts. I feel like there have been some challenges with it. Um, I think that it's a really interesting mixture of teachers who are already really good at what they do and are using Google Classroom in ways that work really well for them, which is free, open, they use it across all their classrooms already and it's very comfortable for them. Um, it doesn't do some of the things that some other platforms might do. Um, but it takes some extra learning and it also takes some extra clicks uh, within those new platforms to do things that they could do in one click in Google. Um, so I think there's some challenge running up against that. Um, but I do think folks like Mario, who's a computer science teacher, has an amazing growth mindset about trying to do the work, diving in every time we meet, we'll talk about doing something and he implements it in the next class when I go visit him. Um, and so he's really trying to get it up and running and use it as kind of like the central brain for all of the stuff that he's doing. Um, and then Zach, a uh, social studies teacher, has been surveying his students, so he rolled it out to the kids and then has been asking them throughout the process, like, what do you think about the platform, what's working well for you, what don't you like about it? Um, and I think that that's been a really good approach to getting students feedback about how they're feeling about it. Um, and I think that one of the challenges we're running into, which I think is something that maybe had been planned for in some of the other contexts, but isn't possible in Barrington given how their schedule is set up, is that the teachers are actually spread across all different grade levels and all different content areas. And so it's not like there's a ninth grade academy of students that can have every single one of their classes in the learning management system that's being used. It's kind of like scattershot. So an individual teacher isn't teaching all of their classes within the platform and no individual student has all of their classes within that platform. So everyone's using Google Classroom plus Echo or not Echo at all. Um, and so it's, I think that's been a real challenge. And so in thinking about moving forward with that, figuring out what's the best way to structure a pilot if you're really trying to understand that so that it touches students in the most immersive way and teachers in the most immersive way. Um, so it's not an add-on. Right, right. And I can speak to that structure at Narragansett because it is a freshman academy. It, Power School Learning has been something that the teachers have said, we know what Google Classroom is, uh, we're never going back to it. They, they've definitely bought into the platform. They like what it does for their kids. This, the kids are bought into it at this point, and it made it so much easier to roll it out with five teachers and their cohort of freshmen, and a couple of add-ons with uh, foreign language and math. It was more just the kids who kind of naturally fit into the larger group. Um, but yeah, two thumbs up for small cohort, cohort rollout. I'll echo that as well. Um, to your point on structures and how important it is, um, one of the schools I work with has a similar um, challenge that uh, Mike identified with teachers who are you know, between two buildings, essentially schools, 
different levels don't all share the same kids. Um, and one thing that they were hoping to do and have been and starting to ask these questions um, is we've been trying to get insights from Christina on the structures in place at her school to try to learn from that so that for any uh, future like iteration of this, um, they could learn from from some, from that cohort model and, and the ways in which like Narragansett has like structured their team time um, to be able to be effective for kids. One thing that has worked out really well in terms of structures for bringing people together has actually been the advisory time that happens for students every other Thursday. So when we do want to meet with students as a whole group and do you know like a conversation with them about how things are going in the iCreate lab or anything like that, we're able to pull students for the half an hour that they would normally be in advisory so that we can check in and kind of get everybody. And I think this is true at all schools, but especially at schools where they're perceived as high-performing. Students don't want to miss class, mm -hmm. um, or they can't miss class because it's going to stop them from being on track to get the things they need to do. Mm -hmm. um, and so when you're thinking about these kind of pilots, freeing up the time for both faculty and kids to be able to come together in ways that aren't disruptive mm -hmm. is a real challenge. Mm -hmm. um, and so figuring that out in a way that works, I think Nick's done a really good job of figuring out how to bring everybody together once a month kind of right after school on a day that seems to work for everybody. Um, but I think that on an ongoing basis, it's a little bit more challenging to get everybody in the room who needs to be in the room. Yeah, Woonsocket is being supported by New England Base Camp because they use the Summit Learning Platform and New England Base Camp is the, uh, the local support for that specific platform. Um, they've also been pulled in part-time and helping out Malika in Newport as well. They are doing a really cool partnership with Steambox, um, which is another local org that has been coming in to help their kids build a car that is gonna have a voice assistance. So they learned how to program a voice assistant program the other day, they're a computer science program mm -hmm. uh, cohort. It's a P-Tech school. Um, and so that's been like really what they've been putting a lot of their work and support behind. The teachers themselves have really jumped full, f like two feet into using Summit. They just went like, they went in, all the way in, and like they went through the craziness of the first few months and weeks of school of like trying a whole new curriculum, using a whole new um, you know, style of teaching, and it's, it's really become really powerful for them. Like, having that immersive experience is really paying off versus the sort of some, some pilots that are sort of trying to just tease it in here or there. They're really just getting to figure out what works, what does it in a very quick, fast way and move on to the next. They've been really great about taking feedback from everybody and anybody. They're just a super open team and they're really excited to scale. They're, they have a lot of all these plans for next year, how they're gonna do this as their program grows. It sounds like everybody's in a, a good place with their teams and I love the fact that you guys are embedded in there so that you can be supportive throughout their whole entire process, especially when they're not you know, wanting to try new things, especially if they're used to a certain platform, but it helps to have support systems like you guys are offering to be able to do that without any... It does. I think what really helps too that Mike alluded at was that, you know, he's being able to show some of this work at Dartmouth and we're getting to that point now with all of them and it helps that we can all sit here and have these, know these things that are happening across these schools and brainstorm and say, oh, you know what, it's time for this school to go visit that school. They're working on this and it might be a good time for them to understand what it looks like. That's been, I think, a huge part and it's really helpful to do a redesign level at the state level with high school, which is a very difficult thing to do when you have that sort of consistency that we've been sharing that idea as a building the network. Opportunities and challenges at each of your sites? I think as far as um, challenge, challenges, <laughs> a lot of my schools are recognizing just how important um, the structures are to making sure that like this program is successful. So one of the learnings that I think we've been uh, documenting and keeping track of are 
sort of these conditions for success for teams to be able to do the work because everyone who, all the teachers who signed up for this have done so because they genuinely believe that it is possible to fundamentally reimagine what it means to like educate students so that they are at the center of their learning. So that intention is there, that um, drive is there. Time for teams to meet together regularly. Um, so of the four schools that I work with, the, the ones in which there is regular time for teachers um, and administrators and students to sit down and plan together and talk about challenges and um, work through work through things and that that's been um, a huge uh, um, like indicator of what the possible success of that um, that implementation um, and schools in which we haven't had those structures you see a lot more I've noticed a lot more of um, working on like individual classroom um, implementations and really thinking about it at the classroom level because it's more difficult to like lift it up to the sort of um, grade level or school level and so I think that for future for like um, you know any possible other iteration of this project it would be it would be really important to like start with those structures make sure that they're in place at the very beginning of the year um, and to really spend a good amount of time planning so that um, they are ready to hit the ground running um, the place that my schools are at now is is um, it's really interesting because all, they all are already thinking about next year. They're already thinking about, um, oh, if I had to do this over again, like this is what I would change. This is how I would do things differently. Like this is an opportunity for next year. Like they're thinking about next steps. They're already in, um, and they're really bold thinkers. So I'm really, really grateful to be working with such um, ambitious <laughs> educators and administrators. Um, and I think what we've realized is how important every organizational level from the you know, students, teachers, school administration, and district administration, how important it is that they're all communicating um, and that they're, uh, they're able to have these feedback loops with each other so that the program can be successful, whether it's thinking about the technology um, integration or how they're um, uh, gathering student voice um, and elevating that. Um, how they're implementing this in the classroom, uh, how they're looking at data together and adjusting course moving forward. Those are some of the opportunities and challenges that we've been thinking about across the four schools. In terms of opportunities, I think it, I see opportunities all the time around student voice. Um, and I, I think currently curriculum is still very much boss um, for so many reasons that are out of teacher control. Um, and especially like Narragansett is a high-performing school. They, they have, um, and they have that reputation for a good reason. And there's this, and I see this in a couple of the districts I'm in this year. Is if it's not broke, why, why fix it? Um, like, but I'm lucky enough to be working with teachers who, even though it's not broken, want to fix it. <laughs> and they, they are willing to try so many interesting things. So I have one teacher who's. Um, she's thinking about creating her own breakout boxes for her students to work through. Um, I don't know if you've heard of them, but they're my new favorite thing. It's, it's like an escape room, but in a box and you use your curriculum to find clues to unlock the next box. And, and it's just that kind of thinking that, again, takes the teacher out of it and lets students explore and learn on their own terms, but with the teacher as a guide. And you set conditions for success for students to then access. 
Um, but that said, one of my challenges is um, having the room to fail. And that doesn't mean the teachers. The teachers definitely feel comfortable to um, make mistakes and to have a lesson that just completely bombs. Obviously, they would feel good about it, but they do feel supported in, the, in taking those risks. I think the, the challenge currently is letting students fail authentically. And what does that mean? What can they learn from that? There are so many scaffolds in place to support their students to succeed and get that mark, that you know, X number. That um, I, there we're breaking some tough habits right now. Yeah, and then I want to just jump in there. This is a really good time for like to look at the idea that this was a pilot that involved district administration, school administration, as well as teachers. Because at this point, we're running, we're looking at a district that's realizing that and seeing it and saying, we need to go back to our grading policy. We need to go back to our school committee we have to be able to put those things on the table to make those changes so without having that time to actually like, I wouldn't say challenges or opportunities or differences they're saying yeah. our challenges are our opportunities and our opportunities are our challenges as they come to surface throughout the year so each site just has these unique things that have happened that they've been able to learn from and build from and we're like at the point where it's really started to look into next year where's the scale going where are we going to be able to put all like a bit two feet behind and really move it forward yeah I would say um Two of the biggest challenges that I'm seeing are um, all the different initiatives that are going on. It sometimes gets, I think it gets confusing how many different things are going on within a district and making sure that they're really, really tightly integrated. And I think that we are doing a pretty good job of that. But I also realize that because of some of the structures that are inherent to high schools versus middle schools or elementary schools, it makes it much more challenging to authentically integrate that. So like, I think the time to not be able to really bring teachers together meaningfully with each other on a regular basis is really challenging. And it's not a problem that I had had in working with the middle school in Barrington um, or other work I'm doing at the high school that is organized around teachers preps. Um, so it might've even been as simple as saying like, only people who are have their preps during A period or B period or whatever are gonna be involved in the pilot because we know that we can meet with them every single week so we can come together and have that conversation. And I think that you you lose something when you do that because obviously it can't be quite as open as just saying anyone is interested. Um, but at the same time, you have the ability to build capacity more purposefully um, than I think sometimes I've been able to figure out how to do yet. Um, so that's one challenge. And I would say the other one is um, no matter how much we explain that it's not about the technology, it kind of is, because the grant is about technology. Um, it's about teaching practices, and it's about student-centered learning, and we're doing those things, I think, really well. I think the things that make it more challenging are sometimes the partnerships with outside orgs that we don't control. Um, and so, and it's not to put blame on any single individual organization, but I think that when it's about improving teacher practice within the framework that we usually do it, I think we can much more strongly navigate that. I think when the technology is a necessary component of making it happen with a specific technology that the school has paid for to do this pilot, it makes it a bit more challenging. Mm -hmm. um, and when frustrations come up, usually we can just be like, okay, let's ditch that platform and try something else. And I think that that is definitely possible here, but I think it's, it's a bit more fraught. Um, and when you're talking about a learning management system instead of something that's more ancillary, that becomes a little bit more challenging to do. Learning management systems, if well done, and the whole goal with interoperability is they are tied to everything. So you can't just like make a little tweak here, you have to change everything. 
mm -hmm. um, you have to make everything integrate, which is different than me saying, like, let's learn how to make a screencast and use that as a way to give your students more voice or to have a way for your students to explain something. So I think that the two pieces there are like, one, we picked a lever that is a really powerful lever, but also one that necessarily requires a whole lot of other things to move with it. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we don't control all those other things that need to move. Um, but to add to that, a little silver lining is the idea that we are learning across seven different sites about what what these systems have and how they can be used. So at the end of the day, we hope to be able to come back to the state, to the systems, and say, you know, ed tech vendors, here are the features that are going to be most helpful for schools that are going to be doing student-centered learning. Mm -hmm. These ones really were not. So it is, a, it is definitely a down that a lot of these schools and teachers are having real problems with some of these products. But when we have this much market that we're dealing with, we can provide that feedback at a level that we hope to do make some change in the next couple of years. You know, it didn't happen this year. That happens with pilots. You get you get hurt sometimes in a pilot, but you can also make a lot of progress. Right, and I think that uh, like exactly on that point, I think we're trying to benefit a lot of different stakeholders, and I think we can benefit mm -hmm. the state really well, and I think that we can benefit districts very well in making their decisions. I think that mm -hmm. sometimes that learning happens on the backs of teachers and students. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's really yeah. important to recognize that and really important to honor the experiences of teachers and students in grappling with these challenges that aren't necessarily totally understood until they try it. Like that's the point of a pilot, that's the point of trying these things out. Mm -hmm. But I think that's where the mindset piece comes even more powerfully into play. If you have the right people at the table and they're willing to try this stuff, like even if they get frustrated, they're willing to come back and work with you. Um, if for whatever reason you don't have that group of people or they were voluntold instead of volunteering, like whatever the issue is, then it becomes much more challenging to do that work than even our normal embedded work because we can always help you improve your practice, but if that requires you taking the thing that's the key lever to everything you teach and tweaking that every single time we come in, that makes it more challenging. And I think we're so lucky that we've got the people around the table who are here. Um, like my teachers at Narragansett, they, whatever challenge comes up, they work through it. They have that mindset there and they're not, I, I've said it before, I'll say it again, they're not afraid to try something and have it completely fail. They're ready to take that data and then try a new iteration of that. And it's been so, it's been a real bright spot in my schedule to have that kind of working collaborative experience with this cohort of people. It's been great. And do you find that the platforms are willing to listen when you have these this feedback? Have you tried to go back to them and say we'd like to have this, that, and the other incorporated into this platform? Can you work with us on that? Yes, but with the caveat that as Mike said, they are large systems that require a lot of code and putting in those changes. So often they're receptive to it, say we want to put that on our roadmap. We definitely see the value in having it run that way. It's way more efficient for the teacher, for the student. But I'm not going to be able to get to that this year, or I'm not even sure if it's going to make it on the roadmap for next year, but we will, we will put it up there. And so you're left kind of not knowing when it will happen, right. which is hard for some schools. And I think one challenge for me, and then I think Malik has a great example of a specific win that they've gotten at 360. Um, I think for us, using Echo, which is a platform that's built specifically for new tech network schools, and Barrington being the first of, the first and only maybe or the first of a couple schools that are outside of the new tech network that don't have a coach on site to support the specific platform stuff. Um, I think that there is a big learning curve and it's built for a specific school model and it's not a school model that's been wholesale adopted. Mm -hmm. And so I think that different from some other learning management systems, like it is an awesome learning management system, there's a lot of great stuff about it, and I think that it can be a real driver for project-based learning, 
not all the teachers that I'm working with are doing projects all the time. Um, and to be fair, you can also do some really cool stuff on the platform that's not related to project-based learning, but there's a lot of learning time um, that goes into that, and it's a lot less simple to use than Classroom. And Classroom can be used pretty well to do a lot of things. The combination of Gradebook in Echo is awesome, but even some of the features that are in there were disabled because they don't grade in the same way that the network grades. So I think there are some challenges when you're going for a specific school model and you're, and you're picking a learning management system that goes along with that, especially when you're doing a small pilot. Um, and it's not, the, again, same kids or same teachers doing it across all of their caseload. Mm -hmm. um, so that's one real challenge we've run into. I think they've been receptive to our questions, but I don't think it's even within their near-term strategy to majorly change and support schools outside of their network. Mm -hmm. So I think that that is something going in, had we been, had we better understood that it might have influenced the way that we had interacted with them from the very beginning. One thing that uh, <clears throat> we've recognized um, across those, so all the districts that I work in um, have a pretty decent percentage of um, English language learners. Um, and where we found challenges is um, in some platforms ability to adequately support those learners. So for example, um, with Summit, teachers who have students in Newport who um, just recently um, immigrated from Puerto Rico because of the storm, were really struggling with uh, how to support those teachers. So in conversations with the um, representative from, from Summit, the coach who um, works with that team, is she we talked about this with her, and, and this was something that she's been hearing from a lot of schools, and that the platform recognizes they need to they need to do a better job of serving English language learners. Um, so, the the hope is that um, these learnings and these the conversations with um, these platforms will lead to like better um, support for different types of learners. Um, but one example of uh, it, the conversations with um, people from the platforms in which you know they've been able to get more of what they need out of it is um, is at 360. They really, really are um, want to move towards competency grading, um, and their students have um, a lot of needs, uh, and the teachers are really like work really, really, really hard to differentiate to. Um, translate things to um, provide adequate scaffolds and multiple opportunities for students to show mastery. Um, and in conversations with um, the representatives from Schoology, you know, we we needed to be able to have back and forth conversations essentially all the time. <laughs> um, and so uh, one thing that's been effective there, because we don't really have like structures to meet as a team to sit down and troubleshoot together, um, was just a spreadsheet um, that uh, I created for with, uh, that had all the teachers and our Schoology rep and the principal have access to. Um, so we're constantly troubleshooting things that come up on the tech end. So teachers, admin, whomever will put in uh, issues that come up, uh, tag it to sort of um, like a, a, a subject or a general subject what it's about um, and then Joe, representative from Schoology, will go into the document and it's actually like embedded in our, the 360 Schoology page um, and he will just uh, help resolve things constantly. The other thing that I think has been effective there is that um, they have teachers serve as a 
a teacher serving as assistant administrator. So because if you're utilizing the platform on a daily basis with kids, you know it best. You probably know it better than an administrator would because you're in it daily. So that's been super, super effective because it's we have a very quick turnaround. Um, when we need something to happen, that teacher will immediately you know, turn a function on or um, uh, resolve things that uh, because she has a level of understanding because she's using that platform every day herself. So I think that's something that's been really interesting that I've not seen at any other school um, that allows the team to be able to uh, move at a level of um, have like progress in their implementation of the, the tech end of things um, in a way that I think uh, would be interesting to see implemented at maybe other schools as well. Um, so whereas we've had a lot of challenges with sort of with just team structures there, I think um, on the tech end, just how how we're able to communicate with the school here has been um, good. That's great. It's good to hear a success story because you know it, I think not only these schools that are in the Fuse Architect project could benefit from those changes that you're thinking through. I'm sure all of the people that are using it have probably had similar questions and problems and I think it would be to the benefit of the company to really take it seriously, these suggestions. Definitely. Um, I think one thing that hasn't been mentioned though is that this is an integrated learning systems grant, right? So it's not just about a learning management system and I think part of what we're all facing with at all the schools is people are thinking it's, it is a catch-all, that the learning management system is the thing that's gonna solve and do have all the answers to all the problems and it's gonna make life more efficient for the student and the teacher. And that's just not the case. And what we need to find out is what are the other supporting ed tech products that can work with these and be interoperable with these learning management systems. What are they? There's some small ones like Albert that's been very good at like being in part of the conversation trying to find out how can I fit, who can I work with. They're trying to work with N-Grade to create a single sign-on with them. They're eager to know the next steps and they've been, a lot of them like Albert have been trying to find out what is the way, to, the best, most efficient way for a young company to become interoperable. And that is probably, I think, what the biggest win will be, again, going towards the future and looking sort of like scale-wide. Because the learning management system isn't the end-all be-all. But it is new and it is probably going to be around in a different form probably five years from now. This was the start to that. And it was, I think it was a very conscious decision of the Highlander Institute to say if we're going to do an integrated learning systems grant, we need schools to first figure out what is the learning management system. And then we can start building on those pieces. But until we get that one first, then it's not going to be, we're not going to be able to have the learning that we need for all the other pieces. Mm -hmm. So a big challenge has been trying to explain to schools that you will need a learning management system at some point, maybe not this one. Right? There's all these new ones that are coming out that didn't get picked that have a lot more student-centered focuses towards them. And those might be the ones that learn a lot from this grant as well and are able to come around in the next few years and then put their product out there to say, I'm that next iteration, I'm interoperable. I, I learned from what was happening when these LMSs really started to take hold. I think something that we're seeing in this pilot too that's really interesting is that we're trying to make these big whole school, whole district changes. Um, but you, it, you can't do that with a pilot. You're, we're testing some specific, um, yeah. like some specific, specific pieces of the school climate and culture and learning practices, but you couldn't, you couldn't go to um, a competency-based learning 
in my Narragansett team because not all the other teachers are on board and how do you only grade the ninth grade on competency-based learning and then just when you get to 10th grade don't worry about it or maybe we'll scale it up so (laughs) thinking it's like there's so many bigger issues of like this isn't just um like a little mobile motorboat this is a huge cruise ship (laughs) (laughs) and we can only do so much um and that's sometimes limiting but sometimes freeing it's been it's frustrating for us going through it, frustrating yeah. for the teachers and the students, but I think also a little bit liberating for the school districts to realize, oh, if I include, next time I can include my guidance department, and if we include them in this conversation, we would have been able to build this pilot out. Or next time, if I had a bigger tech team on the district side, we would have been able to roll out faster and do that, and we can't bring it to scale. So mm-hmm. I keep trying to put the silver lining on a lot of these things. It is very frustrating for a lot of the schools and students when we hit a lot of the stumbling blocks that we have hit. Mm-hmm. It sounds like a huge learning opportunity for everyone really? in, in the communication side of things and just knowing like who needs to be involved in the processes of making these huge decisions, um, yeah. especially when so much money is involved in it yeah. as well. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah. And time. And time. Yeah. Like, I think that's one of the biggest pieces that my teachers are feeling is just the time. They've spent time here. They don't want to lose it. Mm-hmm. And it's been really valuable. What about the sustainability of the program? Sustainability. We would love more money. Can you <laughs> give us money? Um, I think, so for me, like three of the biggest things, one would be making sure that when we do this, it is as integrated as possible with all the other things that are going on within a district, which I think we tried to do as well best said. as we could. Mm-hmm. Um, but. I think there are some challenges around that. Some districts have Highlander in there in a whole bunch of different capacities through our FUSE, um, amazing FUSE program with our FUSE fellows, through our embedded supports, through obviously architect, through the culturally relevant and responsive teaching work. So there's a lot of different things that wrap around our work. And even just needing in the first couple of days for me to draw a map for people and say like, here are all the different things Highlander does. This is the thing I do when I'm here with you. That took like a couple weeks for people to realize like what I was even there to do. Mm-hmm. So I think wrapping it all together for them so they understand better how we fit. Mm-hmm. Um, the second thing would be, you know, I'm just going to leave it at that. I think that's probably mm-hmm. the most important thing. <laughs> yeah, I think streamlining is a, is a really is a necessity. Like who's who's gathered around the table? Is it 15 teachers tackling uh, freshman academy, or is it five teachers? working together to identify the norms and best practices. So I think continuing with this streamlined and intentional approach to um, to then broadening the effect of the program, like that's, that's what a lot of my teachers are talking about currently. The Narragansett administration <laughs> is thinking about, okay, so what do we do now with this? Um, now that we've tried this for a year, what's next? Um, and just always thinking about teacher time and prioritizing what do you want to roll out and how and with who. I agree with these guys. Um, and I think for all of the schools with whom I work, they try to do a ton at once. And there's so many pieces to this grant, um, so it's hard to do everything well. So um, in terms of sustainability, from what I hear from the teams, it's here are the things that we really saw progress in our team with. Like, with this is the direction. Like, we want to keep trying to do well in this area. So, on one side, it might be, you know, master grading systems. On another, at another school, it might be the student voice and choice. Um, so, I think, you know, at the beginning of the year, there was a lot of uh, the sense of 
uh, teachers feeling very overwhelmed with trying to do way too much at once um, when they are the biggest, busiest people on earth. And so as far as like uh, uh, sustainability, figuring out how to manage those pieces so that they can really wrap around aspects of the projects really well, given everything that they've learned and given the areas in which they've recognized that they would like to see more growth. Um, so really being intentional about like what the next phase of this could look like um, and being very selective about identifying the how. And then, yeah, like these guys said, I think just the the sustainability piece is absolutely inextricably linked to like systems and structures. And um, it's the people who are there, it's the systems and structures that exist, um, it's things, you know, working really well so that they can not be afraid to try something and not have success the first time around and then try again and really like have the support of um, their coaches, their administration, other teachers on their team to to say like, okay, look, let's try something a little bit differently. So along with everything that they said, I think that those pieces um, can help. Most of the schools are already already are thinking about plans for next year. So um, that's that's exciting, even given all the challenges that we've faced this year. I would just add that, I mean, at this point, administrators are making their budgets, they're looking at the data that we've collected and provided, they're talking to their teachers and figuring out what they're going to do, what positions are they need to add for some sites versus, you know, what are the structures they need to be able to have in place for other sites. Mm -hmm. Flexibility is key. A lot of the schools that were not as flexible realize that and it kind of came to light through this, so they're trying to build in that flexibility with their scheduling. And you had mentioned too, I think, at one point that the tech contracts that you created with these tech companies were very much in line with the idea of sustainability because you wanted it to go beyond that one year We, we did purchase two-year pilots, mm -hmm. so we were able to secure two years of the um, learning management systems and some of the smaller ed tech products as well. So they will have it to use next year um, with their pilot size or in some cases actually a little bit more they can scale up to another grade or even the whole school for a few, a few of the sites. Once again, that was Nick Bacharat, Michael Klein, Malika Ali, and Christina Corser from the Highlander Institute providing us an update on how each of the schools involved in the Fuse Architect project are doing. We'll be continuing to follow this project through the end of July, so be sure to check back on our SoundCloud channel for new episodes for this series playlists as they become available. Thank you all for listening. We encourage all of you to make use of the resources and opportunities provided by MVLRI and Michigan Virtual. You can check out our website to learn more about all of the work that we do as we strive to advance K-12 education through digital learning, research, innovation, policy, and partnerships. Visit us at michiganvirtual.org to see more. We look forward to joining you again soon for another edition of the Virtual Viewpoints podcast. Until then, take care.